Side Hustle Show 189, how to start an online store without touching any inventory. This is Dropshipping 101. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where it's all about ideas, action, and results. Awesome show for you today by request all about dropshipping. So I want to thank Crystal and several other members of Side Hustle Nation who requested that topic. Quick vocabulary lesson to get out of the way. Dropshipping, as I understand it, gives you a way to sell a product before you even buy it. It's the buy low, sell high business model with an interesting twist. And that twist is that a supplier or a distributor is going to ship that product to your end customer without you ever having to touch it. All you got to do is figure out what to sell and how to sell it. To school me on how this all works, I invited Anton Crayley to the program, who's been selling online for almost 10 years. And in addition to his portfolio of e-commerce and dropshipping sites, he also runs dropshiplifestyle.com, where he helps other people get started in this business. And I will thank you over to uh, Justin Cook at empireflippers.com for the intro to Anton. Stick around here, Anton product and pricing selection criteria, what to look for in a supplier relationship, how to set those up, the shopping cart software he recommends, plus today's most effective marketing channels. Notes, links, and a free PDF highlight reel with all of Anton's top tips are at sidehustlenation.com slash Anton. It's A-N-T-O-N. Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks is the affordable small business accounting software for side hustlers and freelancers with time tracking and invoicing built right in. You can get started with your 30-day free trial at FreshBooks.com slash side hustle. I'll be back to tell you a little bit more about FreshBooks, plus my top takeaways from this chat with Anton after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. If you went on Google and just searched how to drop ship or went on YouTube and watched some videos, you could probably find, I don't even know, five to 10 different ways of doing it. And I'm sure some of them work. In my opinion, there's only one real way to do it. So uh, that's what we'll talk about, the way that I've been doing it since uh, since I started, really. I actually started by importing and transitioned into dropshipping. But oh, okay. the way that we do it, the way, yeah, it's a little bit backwards. But the way that we, uh, that we do it in my business and the way that I share with others really is it's not arbitrage. It's not using eBay and Amazon. And I'm not saying those don't work, but nothing I've ever tried. We basically just consider ourselves online retailers, right? So just like you go to a shopping mall or a strip mall, there's a bunch of stores, there's let's say a 7-Eleven and they have a bunch of products on their shelves, but you know, those products aren't 7-Eleven brand products. They sell for other companies, right? So that's what we do as online retailers. We build online stores. We sell other people's products. But the only difference between us and an offline retailer is, you know, our storefront is, is virtual. So our overhead's a lot less. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, the first step in the way that we build new stores would be finding that that product type or that niche to sell in. How do I do that? I mean, there's like a million different products under the sun. How do you kind of narrow narrow down what might be a profitable product to set up a storefront around? What I've realized, you know, pretty early on, basically when I first started, I had mentioned this to you before we uh, before we really started recording. But the the first product I ever sold online uh, at my e-commerce store was cookies. So I was selling actually bakery products online. My average order value value was I don't, it was probably like between ten and fifteen dollars. It was super low, but I was selling a lot, so I was making some money. But at the same time, it was a lot of work. So what I realized early on is do not. Now, were you like baking these out of your own kitchen? No. 
Oh, so so it's a little bit like, yeah, it was a little bit backwards. When I first got out of college, it was 2006, I bought a delivery route and it was for a bakery that was in New York where I grew up. So basically I bought the rights to Nassau County on Long Island, okay. which is where I grew up, if anyone's familiar with it. And basically I bought the rights to sell these products from this famous bakery in Brooklyn in Nassau County. They already had a bunch of established stops. And my, my job that I bought myself was basically to drive to this bakery, to pick up these products, then to go to my accounts, which were like specialty grocery stores, and uh, basically you know resell the products as a, as a wholesaler. So that's where I had my, my in with the bakery products. Okay, and interesting. I was doing this offline business. I really didn't like it at all. And uh, really only after I would say a month or so of doing that is when I started to learn more about e-commerce. And uh, that's when I was like, you know what? I, I have these products literally in a truck that I bought to go along with this route. Maybe I should try to sell them online. So you know, that's how I found my first product. But the, the lesson I learned there is, yes, it's possible to sell things online. I was selling them. People were buying them. It was profitable. But the other lesson I learned is, you know, why don't I try to sell something that's much more expensive? So when I get an order, instead of making, you know, $4, I'm making hundreds of dollars. Yeah. So uh, where I would say to start for anyone that's considering getting involved in e-commerce is go towards the higher end of the pricing spectrum because literally it's the same amount of work as selling cookies you know, as selling a stand-up desk. And if you sell a stand-up desk, you might make a few hundred dollars profit. And if you sell cookies, you might make a few dollars profit. So that's one place I would start to look as far as like getting ideas of what expensive products are. As a general rule of thumb, we try to look as at $200 or more our average sale prices are closer to the $1,000 range. But just to get ideas of oh, wow. what there is to sell, I mean, yeah, just, you know, you can look around your house. You can literally, like, ask your friends what they've bought online in the past, where they've spent the most money. And uh, a lot of these items, they're not things that, you know, you're selling tons of. Like, when I sold cookies online, we were selling dozens and dozens of these boxes a day. With these more expensive items, maybe you're selling two or three a day, but you're making more money and it's a lot less customer service and a lot less orders to fulfill. So... I definitely, that, that's my tip. When you're starting to research products, go towards those more expensive price points, especially if you're doing this as a, as a part-time thing, right? Like a side hustle. Yeah. Because if you're trying to build a business in your spare time off selling you know, $20 items, it's going to be a lot of work to fulfill those orders, to deal with those customers, to answer all those questions. Um, meanwhile, if you're selling really expensive items in your spare time, maybe you get one sale a day. Even if you got two sales a week that made you an extra you know, few hundred bucks each, it adds up. So uh, that's where I would start. Is there such thing as too expensive to buy online? I imagine over a certain price point, people are like, I want to yeah. get on the phone or I want to see this in person or something. I, I mean, we have some that are over $4,000. Like, it's not, not niches, but we have some products within niches that are over $4,000. They don't sell often. When they do sell, the customer is definitely calling in first, usually asking a bunch of questions. So really, you know, when I'm looking at it, I like between like 1000 and 2000 bucks because I think that's like the area, like up to 2000 There's a lot of people that can spend that much money and not, I don't want to say not think about it, but not think about it too much. Once you start getting into the really high end, uh, kind of like luxury goods, that's a different type of customer and it's a different type of sale. So I, I like the thousand to two thousand. Okay. Are you primarily focused on B to C stuff or are you getting yeah. into like the B to B business? Oh, we have some, you know, some, some businesses do buy from us, but it's not, um, it's not our focus. It's mostly B to C. It's funny you mentioned the stand-up desk thing. Like, I actually wrote a book on treadmill desks because oh, I really? like, you know, yeah. have one and I, I love it and I use it uh, like every day. Um, but never never built out like the back-end website. I'm like, oh, crap, now maybe I should set up some 
dropship relationship. Maybe we maybe we'll use that as like a, as an yeah. example. Like if I wanted to go down and set up the like treadmill desk, you know, virtual online store. Uh-huh. My next step is trying to find like a supplier of these things. Yeah, I mean, ideally more than one. So, like, <laughs> okay. yeah, and, the, and that's another thing. So, again, I was saying earlier, you know, if someone on their own was thinking about dropshipping, they Google how to dropship or dropship suppliers or something. What you're going to find is, I mean, if you look at the paid results and most of the top organic, there are these supplier directories. So, there's a bunch of them out there. I won't name them. They're really easy to find. But there's basically these companies that will charge you a monthly fee. And it could be anywhere between like 20 bucks or maybe even a couple hundred bucks. And they basically say, like, listen, we have access to hundreds of thousands of products. You pay us every month. We'll ship them for you. You know, we'll drop them, drop ship them for you. And they give you these like sample profit margins. They show you on their websites. And it'll say like ridiculous things. Like it'll show, I don't know, I'm just sitting at my desk. So I'm looking at my keyboard. It'll show a keyboard. And they'll be like, you could sell this keyboard for 100 and it only costs $20 from us. So people see things like this and they're like, oh, awesome. I'm going to sign up with this company. I'm going to be a drop shipper. But then the problem is like that same keyboard, you search for it on eBay or Amazon, it might be selling for like $15. So that's where <laughs> most people go wrong. Yeah. Like if you ever find suppliers for drop shipping, if you find them by searching for dropship suppliers, you're probably going to get ripped off because you're going to find middlemen. You're going to find these companies that make money off subscription fees. So really the interesting. So this, this is companies like Doba or something. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. There, there's probably like, I don't know, five or more main players in the space that they're, they're middlemen that make their money off subscriptions. And, uh, yeah, we have a lot of people that, that kind of ask us questions, you know, before they sign up for our course, like, should I use these? And I mean, my answer is, is always no, I, I've signed up for a bunch of them just to see what they have to offer. And it's just, you know, you, you really, you can't make money. And this is why I say you should have more than one supplier. The, the way that you can make money, again, you're a retailer here, right? So let's say uh, even with like Apple, we would never sell for a brand that big, but let's say like with an iPhone. So I, I don't know what iPhones cost to the, the retailers, but let's just say like you had a, an Office Depot that sold iPhones and a Best Buy, and they had to pay Apple $200 for that phone. And let's say Best Buy was selling them for, for $600. Right. And then if Office Depot was thinking like, oh, I'm just going to sell that for 400. I don't care. I'll make $200 every sale. They couldn't do that because Apple enforces pricing controls. They have what's called a map policy, which stands for minimum advertised price. And the good news is there's tons of online brands that also enforce these pricing controls. So as a dropshipper, you're really an internet retailer, but as a, as an internet retailer who works in the dropship business model, you're trying to find these, I would say mid-sized brands, nothing huge, but you're trying to find these mid-sized brands that enforce pricing controls. So that's how you can actually, you know, make money with this business model. And that's why it's okay. So people, so people aren't going to undercut you. Yeah, exactly. Cause they can't. And the, the thing is there's, there's, three prices that you'll basically get from suppliers when they approve you. And I, I use the word supplier and brands interchangeably because you know, most of our stores sell for about 20 different brands. Um, so let's say we had that stand up. Yeah, we, we don't have a stand up desk score, but if we did, let's say we sold for 20 different companies that make them, uh, we wouldn't be private labeling them. We would say, you know, what company makes them? We would list the SKU number. We would list the product name. We would list information about the brand that makes that. And uh, basically that just, it, it diversifies everything. And try, instead of trying to sell for a company, that is a, is a middleman that will say, hey, you could have hundreds of thousands of products. Instead, we're trying to go straight to the source for the companies that are having these things produced, the companies that are building a brand for themselves, and we are a retailer of those products. And as long as they have the, the map policies, the minimum advertised price, that's where the profit is really protected. Okay, interesting. So like on the treadmill desk example, like there's probably the best-selling model is like this $1,500 price points, which kind of lands in your sweet spot. It's like a lifespan 
you know, something, whatever model number. So you would reach out to Lifespan directly and say, hey, I'm thinking of setting up this store. You know, would you be open to a dropship relationship? Like, is it? Yeah. And that's the thing. So I, I would do that, but I would not use the word dropship. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause it, it's funny. I know like my course is called dropship lifestyle <laughs> and like, but you don't use that word with suppliers. Cause again, like it, it does have a bad uh, kind of like connotation to it. And it's because a lot of people that are just starting out will do that. They would call the company, right? Like you just mentioned and say, Hey, do you guys drop ship? I want to sell your products. And if someone just calls like that and the, the company knows that you don't really know what you're, you're, you're <laughs> starting, right? You want to sell the products. They're going to say no, because they are trying to build a brand and they're looking for online retailers and offline retailers, but they're looking for retailers that will really help them get more sales. And that will also protect their brand because the reason they want companies to sell for them is because they've decided not to be for the most part, like their goal isn't to be direct to consumer brands. They're looking to build these companies and then have other people bring them sales. So what they really want in a retailer is someone that they can trust that will support their customers and someone that really knows how to drive more sales. So the conversation would basically go like I would call them and I would say, hi, my name is Anton from whatever it is, Anton's uh, treadmill desk site.com. And we were looking at your product line. I see you have some great products. I've seen, read some great reviews in your company. It would be really a good fit onto our website. Uh, and, you know, again, I would give them the URL. I'd say, if you want to go check it out, you could have a look. And I would really just explain based on what I read about them on their own website, like why it would be a good fit and why I think working together would get them more sales. So okay. you're basically trying to convince them. I mean, you, it should be truthful, but you're trying to convince them that you can get them sales and that you will offer good customer support because that's what they want. That's the difference because calling a company and, you know, just saying like, hi, do you guys drop ship? They'll say no. But if you call them and talk to them about how you can help their business, then they'll work with you. But it sounds kind of like a chicken and the egg thing. Like I got to build, I got to build out this storefront without any products first. How do you get around that? Yeah. So, I mean, we literally do that. We, we build, uh, so let's say that's the site I wanted to build. We would pick our domain name. We would have our logo created. We would have the site set up and we would upload, you know, five or so really just like stock images of these products. Okay. And the reason we do that is, and we're not, you know, obviously we're not sending traffic to the site at this point, but we want it set up so that when we're reaching out to people, they can actually go to our site and look at it. So, you know, we're not telling them like, Hey, we run this hugely successful site, but we want them to see that we're at least serious about it and be able to click around, see, how our product pages look, go to our about us page, you know, see that we actually have something to, to offer them. Yeah, that's what we do when we first set up these, I, I would call them demo sites, but they really are live sites just without traffic. Yeah. And then as soon as we would get our first supplier approval, then you go ahead, upload the real products, swap out the demos. And that's when you could start running traffic. Okay. Interesting. I imagine you have some, you know, how, after building however many of these sites, like some, you know, templates that you like, or like curious what shopping cart yeah. software that you like. Yeah, no. We actually built our own theme. Um, oh. Yeah, we use Shopify. So when I first started, there wasn't lots of different platforms out there, and we were on a, on Yahoo stores back in the day, and um, you know it did it served its purpose. You have been doing this for a while. Yeah, yeah, they they worked. They're ugly, but they you know it worked. Did its job. But um, over the years, we've tried a bunch of different platforms, and I would say for the past, I guess maybe three, four years, we've been exclusively with Shopify. So Shopify is just like it's the best e-commerce platform out there right now. We actually created our own theme to use with it because you know we do build so many sites, and um, not just for ourselves. We built dozens for our own company, but we've also built. I don't even, I, I'd have to say over a hundred for different members of our community. So yeah, we have our own theme we use. 
And they have some Shopify has some like pre-built templates and things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think out of the box, they must have over a dozen free options that you can use. And they're I mean, they're great. Um, We just have some customizations that we like to do. So we built it into a theme, but they have like at least a dozen free ones. Then they have a theme store where you could buy them from. And probably the best thing about Shopify. Well, one of the one of the best things is their app store. So, you know, it's a little bit different, but like anything that you want your store to do back in the day when I wanted something like a like a custom wish list, for example, I would have to hire a developer and pay them like three to five grand to custom code this all for me. But now with Shopify, they have apps that some are free, some are like $5 a month, and you can just click a few buttons and instantly you know, upgrade the functionality of your store. So really cool. Interesting. Everything's getting easier. That's, that's really happy. Um, happy Much to easier. That. It's, it's so different. Like I can't even believe like that I took kind of the chances I did back in the day because whenever we wanted changes made, it would be reaching out to developers, getting these like crazy contracts, but there was just no option. And now I go to the Shopify app store all the time and I'll see like this amazing new you know feature that is is free for the first 60 days and then $10 a month thereafter. And it's like, of course I'm going to do this. You know, it, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same. I'm kind of the same way. I probably spent over the course of eight or 10 years, you know, probably north of a hundred grand, like on this one mm-hmm. website with different development projects and upgrades. It's like, you could probably build this whole thing in WordPress today for, you know, next to nothing. And maybe there had to be some customizations done, but it's just like, oh, you know, Not night and day. <laughs> night and day. Yep. did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. Ands.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. Okay, so I'm setting up the and Shopify is like 30 bucks a month at the base level or something like that. Yeah, I think they even have a cheaper version, but the $29 a month one is I think what most people start with. Okay, so that's kind of your your entry level expense at this point is getting yes, this yep. getting this um you know dummy site set up. Mm-hmm. So I go back to the supplier, I say, hey, I think you'd be a good fit for the store for these reasons. Now, my understanding of dropshipping, maybe this is wrong, is like you don't you don't ho- touch the product like you never you don't have to hold the inventory until somebody else pays for it, basically. And then you send the exactly. order off to the supplier and then they they send it to the end customer. Exactly. So there, there's a couple different ways that the agreement could work with uh, with each supplier. And the way that we do it is uh, basically we just give them a credit card to keep on file. And the reason we do that is because you can earn, I'm sure as you could imagine, a lot of rewards points because you know, we sell expensive items and our suppliers have our credit card. So yeah, we basically, you know, we submit the orders, they charge them to our credit card, they ship it to our customer. The other way you could do it is to actually just get a line of credit with the supplier. You know, that's if you, I, we actually, something we don't do, but you know, they, they when, when you first ask and get, to get approved, they will send you some paperwork to fill out, basically your agreement. One of the agreements is saying that you're 
you're agreeing to adhere to their minimum advertised pricing policy, like we spoke about earlier. And the other one is basically asking for your company information and then asking if you want to apply for credit terms or if you want to just give them a credit card. So we always go for the credit card because, you know, I, we've been traveling a lot for the past few years and it's all been complimentary thanks to that. Yes. Lots of free flights. So the way to check if they have map pricing is just to, you know, do some searching around and, and see if pricing is pretty consistent. Yeah, the best way to do it, because um, even some companies say they enforce it, but you could easily check if they if they do or they don't by uh, really just finding a few of their products and then go on Google Shopping, you know, search for them and see what okay. the other retailers are selling them for. Okay, so now I've got um, I've got my one supplier and um, I've got this site set up and I'm I'm like ready to go. And now like I gotta find a, I gotta find a customer. It's like yeah. Why, I guess one of the questions I have is like you know why is somebody gonna go if this product is the same price on Amazon as it is on Anton's treadmill desk emporium dot com? Why is anybody gonna do business with you know yeah. my random site uh, versus yeah? Amazon? So I, I agree. For, and for most things like with Amazon, you know, for most items like under a hundred bucks, I do buy them on Amazon and buy a lot of stuff there. But one of the things that we do is build niche specific stores. So the people that are shopping with us are usually looking for, actually by the time they find us, they're, they're usually looking for the exact product and they're kind of shopping around. But we're able to give customers like a very unique experience uh, because when they come to our sites, it's not like Amazon, which is, you know, literally every product in the world. But let's say someone's like, um, let's say, let's use like the, the camping example, right? Someone's searching for a tent. If they come to our site, we could have, you know, more photos, more information, a better description. Um, we could have different um, options that we're doing where maybe we include a sleeping bag for one of our other suppliers as a bonus. We can really like customize the the entire shopping experience to that person that's you know passionate about it that's looking for it and um, you know there's, there's lots of optimization things we do but a big one is by tailoring the entire sales message to that customer obviously we're not competing just on price we're not like undercutting Amazon if they sell it uh, because they'd be sticking to map also. Mm-hmm. But um, we're usually doing things like uh, like bonuses where if they buy it, we'll, we'll throw in something else. And um, that makes a, a big difference as well, especially when there are these, these very niche markets where the person shopping, you know, they know what they want, they're passionate about it. And again, by the time they find us, they know what product they want. So we just try to make an easy choice to choose us by stressing things like your customer service, like why they should buy from us and giving them something extra that's going to make it an easy decision. You remember uh, Wayfair.com? Mm-hmm. Who like, you know, back in the day, they had like 200 different, you know, super, super niche store. It was like, yep. you know, cast iron bedroom lamps dot com, like really, really niche stores. So it's kind of, but now they've brought everything under the Wayfair umbrella. So yep. it's kind of interesting here. You're you're going the opposite way. I, I did think that was interesting as well because you know back when I when I first started uh, that was really I think like right about the same time that, that they were starting and you know I saw what they were doing and I saw that they were building all the unique sites and uh, Hay Needle you know they, they do the same they have HayNeedle.com which sells everything then they have I think like 150 different niche specific stores they said that the reason they brought it all together was for you know to have customers just know that they could buy more from them but I don't know every time that we've put different things together on one site we've actually experienced lower conversion rates. I understand that, you know, we're not trying to do what they're doing because obviously like, you know, I'm back in the States now. I see their commercials all the time. Yeah. Um, they're trying to become like the, you know, the Amazon of, of home goods. Yeah. I don't know. Every time we've built a shopping mall type store, our conversion rates haven't been as good as a niche specific store. So, yeah. So you, I, I could see how you'd be, uh, your conversion rate would be higher. Be like, hey, look, we are the, exactly. uh, you know, the go to place for these, you know, decorative end table lamps or whatever. 
and we stress it like, yeah, if it, if it was that, you know, the, let's say the standing uh, treadmill desk store, like you would see an about us page that was, you know, full of copy about why we sell them and the benefits of them. And it, it's like, it's, it's a custom tailored experience to that customer. So that was what Wayfair used to do as well. But I think when they decided to go public, it was right around the same time when they pulled it all together under Wayfair.com. Do you find that having the like specific domain name and everything tailored around that specific um, product like helps your SEO? Yeah, with the domain names, you know, some of them we have are like buy whatever it is or all whatever it is. But we also have some that are just kind of like brandy names because the other ones weren't available and okay. it hasn't made really a difference. So I used to think it did, but then as more and more domain names got taken and had nothing on them and we started making stuff up, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Something, yeah. whatever, you know, it's a place to, a place to host your shopping cart. The one thing I would say is it does have to be memorable, you know, like that, that's basically it though. As long as the, the customer remembers it, because they're going to see our ads a lot after they go to our websites. So it has to be something they'll remember. So how do they find your site initially? Are you doing like the AdWords stuff and other kind of pay-per-click? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the majority by far, like the, the highest converting source of traffic we have is through Google shopping, through Google product listing ads. Yeah, that's by far the highest converting. And again, like I, I mentioned earlier that by the time people find us, they know what they want. So, you know, they're finding us because they're searching for a brand name or a product name or a SKU number or a combination of all three. So like our search traffic from Google shopping uh, through AdWords is all super, super, super targeted. The only time that we'll use traditional AdWords is when we have products that are just, you know, crushing it with our PLAs. We'll actually run uh, just traditional search text ads for those keywords as well for those products. But yeah, that's that's by far the best source of traffic, super targeted uh, PLAs, and then we do retargeting across Google and Facebook. Okay, so if somebody, hey, if somebody didn't hit the, uh, the checkout page or somebody didn't hit the confirmation page, they might still be interested in this, so let's retarget them everywhere they, everywhere they go online. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's the only time we do Facebook ads. You know, with the, with the type of stores we build, again, it's like the more expensive products. They're not impulse buys. By the time people find us, again, they know what they want. They're just trying to decide who to buy it from. So we've tried Facebook ads to cold audiences, and it just, you know, it doesn't work. Like, the, the people that buy from us are the people that are basically at the stage where they have their credit card out, and they're like, who should I buy from? Let me, let me make a decision. Now, once you have these supplier relationships, are you allowed to create a listing on Amazon if that product isn't already up there or like eBay or any of these other outlets? The majority of the time, the answer is no. And that's why, you know, I didn't mention it before, but you were asking like, you know, if you had the option to buy it from a random store or from Amazon, wouldn't you just go to Amazon? And, you know, there are lots of other reasons besides, you know, just this, but a lot of suppliers, when you're signing these contracts they send you that have the map agreements, that have your pricing policies, that ask if you want credit terms, they also do say, you know, when you sign this, you're agreeing not to sell on Amazon or on eBay. A lot of them list uh, different websites, you know, in addition to those that are the smaller ones, but like the discount websites. And, um, you know, eBay, I think it's clear why they don't want you selling there. They don't want people undercutting each other. Amazon, sometimes it's because they sell on Amazon themselves. And sometimes, you know, I really, I don't know why they just don't want a presence there. I think it might be harder for them to control their retailers there. But um, and it might be, you know, honestly, I, I don't know why they do it. I would think it's because they're trying to be fair to all of their online retailers and they have some big ones and they don't want people going on Amazon and, you know, undercutting it and not really sure. But a lot of times that is written into the agreements. Okay. Okay. Now, before you get into a niche, are there any like tools or metrics you're looking at to say, okay, you know, what is my projected volume on this? Like what kind of margins am I looking at? 
Yeah, the, the margins, you know, they vary so much. It's not really in a niche. It's more from supplier to supplier. So that's something we, we find out after we get approved, really. Oh, okay. Because so they, they're going to tell you, okay, here's what you can buy it at as a... Yeah, exactly. So th- those three prices that you get is the, uh, you'll get your wholesale cost. So what you pay them, you'll get the map price, which is the lowest you could sell for. And you'll get, you know, MSRP, which the manufacturer's just at retail price. But what you'll find is, you know, 99% of people sell at MAP, minimum advertised price. So once you get those price lists, that's when you could see, uh, you know, what your true margin is. This is, uh, this is fascinating stuff. I'm, I'm thinking about this treadmill. <laughs> I'm thinking about this treadmill desk site. Oh, man. I mean, how much time do we have? Have you ever gone through this process, launch a site and just like crickets, like for whatever reason, I can't drive profitable traffic? Because that's something else you got to look at, right? It's like, okay, what's my cost per acquisition. Like, that's great. If I make, you know, $200 on a sale, I've got some margin to play with. Like, that's fantastic. But, oh, you know, AdWords or product listing ads clicks are 10 bucks or, you know, I don't know how much they charge. That's one of the reasons that we, you know, want so many suppliers and we want so many products. Because at first, when we start, you know, new campaigns with new suppliers, basically what we're trying to do is just look at our metrics and identify where people are actually going. So our first step is, I'll just use an example. Let's say we have a thousand products on the site. It's a brand new site. We've never ran paid traffic to it. What we would do is basically spread our budget out evenly amongst everything. We would literally upload one group of all of our products. Nothing would be segmented. And then we'd start looking at what people are looking at, you know, what's getting impressions, right? And then from there, we would look at what's getting clicks. And then we would start optimizing our actual pages on our site for higher conversions. But more importantly, we would start weeding out lots of products and segmenting them in our, you know, our AdWords campaign for Google Shopping. The only time that we've got ourselves in trouble with paid traffic, it hasn't been in a while, but the only time that we've done it has been when we were selling less expensive products. If you're selling items, you know, in that $1,000 range, if you're making, if you're netting, you know, $250, $300 a sale, you can afford at first to kind of spread your money at like, at, at first, like spread it out like that and then find your winners. But the only way that a store would be a complete loser, in my opinion, that would be a complete loser, that completely bomb. It would either be from having products that weren't priced high enough or not having enough products on your site. If you found you know, one supplier that had five products and you thought, like, that's it, I'm going to absolutely kill it on the store, unless you got really lucky, you probably wouldn't. Um, the more diverse it is, the better. Okay. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and 
you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Do you have a minimum you want to look for before you say, okay, I'm going to set up the shop? If I had to give a number, I'd say a hundred, but oh, wow. we've went less than that, you know, but yeah, I mean, I mean, we have some stores that have thousands of SKUs, but yeah, we also have some that have about a hundred. So if, if there's, if there's 70, it doesn't mean it's not going to work, but you know, I, to be comfortable, especially on someone's first store, when you're learning this process, you know, it would be, it would really be best to find at least 20 different brands or suppliers that, that make these products and at least a hundred different products that you'd be able to list on your store. Because, you know, especially on your first go around, not every supplier is going to approve you from day one. Even if you say the right things on the phone, uh, there's different suppliers that they want to see more from you first. Even, even for me, I've been doing this for 10 years. And if I get into a new market, there are some suppliers that won't take us on until I could prove our traffic and our sales. So yeah, you don't want to start again with a few suppliers and a handful of products because you'd have to get really lucky to make that work. You ever run into any nightmares on the customer service side or, or the fulfillment side? Hey, I placed this order and they didn't tell us it was out of stock Fulfillment, I've, I've learned the hard way. I've waited with certain suppliers too long before cutting them off. So we've worked with hundreds of suppliers amongst all of our stores. And some of them are amazing to do business with. And some of them, I don't understand. It's like they don't want money. <laughs> like they won't respond to emails. They won't ship orders. And at first, when we were first starting out, for, for probably too long, for a year or two, like we were having these orders come in. And I was so happy because I'm like, well, we got this order. So, you know, I don't want to, like, I didn't want to drop the suppliers. I, I kept hoping that they'd get better and ship faster. And like, I, I didn't want to stop selling the products because I was selling them. But what I've learned is, you know, if suppliers are unresponsive and that's when the nightmares start, when the customers get mad as they have every right to, and your suppliers still aren't responsive to you, that's the time to just, you know, drop that, that product line from your site and, and move on no matter how many sales they bring. It's just, it's not worth it for what happens to, to your customers and um, ultimately your reputation. So that's a big issue for some suppliers. But again, the, the, the resolve to that is stop working with them. As far as customer service issues, I mean, yeah, you know, it happens when you, when you open yourself up kind of to the world and sell products to people and you don't know who they are and you never talk to them, you know, you deal with some interesting people. So <laughs> we've had uh, some, some issues over the years. Everything's been resolved amicably, I'd say. We've never had any huge issues, but yeah, we've had some, uh, some weird conversations over the years. I'll say that. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Fair enough. With, with as many sites as you own, as many products as you sell, and there's, good, there's bound to be some good stories in there. Yeah. The best thing I ever did, though, honestly, was, and this was after only a couple of years in business, but the best thing I ever did was actually outsource customer service because I, I realized early on, you know, I'm not, I'm just not good with it. And I, people have to be spoken to a certain way. And there's a certain type of person that fits that role, role well. <laughs> 
So that's something as soon as I, I and I, I, it's funny, I was hesitant to outsource it because I thought like, you know, no one's going to treat my customers as good as I do. And then as soon as we did it, my customers were so much happier. So I was like, all right, all right, lesson learned. Yeah, that, that was when I first, you know, um, virtual assistant task. You, you can man the live chat now because I, you know, I don't want to be bothered with this. And, and she was she was awesome. And she actually loved that kind of like as a change of pace from, you know, the the day to day, like database maintenance stuff she was doing. And she's like, oh, you know, I talked to some, somebody from Chicago this afternoon. She was delighted. Exactly. There you go. Well, Anton, this is uh, this is fascinating stuff. Uh, definitely giving me a lot to think about. Where can people uh, go to learn more about this? Yeah, I mean, if you want to check out uh, our blog, we have it at uh, blog.dropshiplifestyle.com and a bunch of articles up there sharing different information about you know product sourcing, some on customer service, awesome. uh, sourcing suppliers. So yeah, it's a good place to start. Very good. Blog.dropshiplifestyle.com. And uh, let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Don't try to sell cheap items. Don't think just because you're starting, you got to start small and scale. Uh, the, the easiest way to make money is to sell expensive items. So start big. Start big. I love it. Anton, thanks so much. And we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks is the award-winning cloud-based accounting service that's giving thousands of side hustlers, freelancers, and entrepreneurs like you the tools to save time billing, get paid faster, and in a more organized, professional way. After all, your effort in landing a customer and delivering awesome work, the last thing you need to worry about is how to actually get paid. And that's where FreshBooks comes in. So FreshBooks understands side hustlers because they were side hustlers. I met with I met with their team last month at Podcast Movement, and they explained that the co-founder, Mike, was running a design firm back in the day, it's like 10 years ago, and was frustrated with the lack of awesome accounting software. So he actually built FreshBooks from his parents' basement. And since then, the platform has been used by more than 5 million customers to collect billions of dollars in revenue. I think that's a pretty sweet story. Check out FreshBooks for invoicing, for auto billing, for time tracking, expense tracking, and more. Hit up freshbooks.com slash side hustle to get started free for 30 days or enter the side hustle show in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle for your free 30-day trial. All right. So my top takeaways from this chat with Anton, number one, if you're going, you might as well go big. He said it several times, 200 to $2,000 was the uh, the price point sweet spot with actually closer to $1,000 being what Anton said his average order was. And maybe these are bigger or bulkier items, but hey, you don't have to ship them. That's the beauty of the thing. Takeaway number two, start lean. You could conceivably get a drop shipping business up and running for almost nothing. Like Shopify has a free 14-day trial. You can use that time to start calling up potential suppliers, get your get your dummy site set up, uh, you have something to show off, and you don't have to buy any inventory or warehouse space, like very, very lean business to start up. Um, takeaway number three was to build, uh, build a brand. Your store has the chance to become like the the authoritative resource in, in whatever niche you select, like with Nick's uh, treadmilldeskemporium.com, there's already like going through my head a ton of useful content and fun content I can build out to help people make their decision um, and educate them about the products, like much more than you could find on Amazon. So I think that could be actually a, a fun side project to start. But dropshipping can be used to build side hustles or build big businesses. I'm looking, thinking back, like one of my largest partners for the shoe business that I was running was primarily a dropship retailer. That meant they were able to add hundreds of brands and thousands and thousands of products to their selection and pay, uh, to me, a very attractive 
commission because they weren't inventorying or warehousing the products. It was all really a lean setup. Now, Anton mentioned the Dropship Lifestyle blog, which actually has a great library of additional info, but he's got a couple other resources that might be worth checking out. Uh, the first one is 187 e-commerce niche ideas, a great way a great way to get those creative juices flowing. And the second thing is a free 10-day mini course, which expands on everything that we talked about and gives a, a more in-depth uh, intro to the, the whole dropshipping business model. So, I've linked those up for you at the show notes for this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash Anton. While you're there, be sure to grab the free PDF highlight reel from this conversation. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where you're going to meet a former hairdresser who turned her side hustle into a six-figure business and landed 30 grand worth of work just from her efforts on one social network. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 